Awesome. If you have your Bibles, grab those. John chapter 17. John chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Uh, is where it will be. If you don't have that, it will be on the screen. Man, that will wreck you, won't it? I mean, looking and listening and singing those lyrics back to God who loves us and cares for us and has done everything that we've proclaimed in this place this morning. I mean, when, when you think of that, and I guess, too, being tired and it's been a crazy few weeks and Man, God will just wreck you in that moment whenever you're just empty and he'll just remind you of how good he is. <sighs> yes, man. We can go home now if you ask me. I mean, I'm just like, yeah, absolutely he's good. Absolutely he's faithful. Absolutely. If, if you've got time, I will talk to you for years on the faithfulness and goodness of God. I mean, we haven't been here in six months. Why not, Right? But I mean, man, to, to sing those songs and proclaim back to the one that's given it all. I mean, how good and faithful he is. And so with that, I just want to say thank you for how good you've been to me and my family. Um, over the last couple of weeks, like it's been crazy, and I, I guess I didn't really feel the weight of how crazy it's been. Um, and, and I know I kind of made a joke of it last week, and I didn't, again, I'm ignorant when it comes to medical stuff, but going into the hospital with a 250 over 150 blood pressure is not a thing to joke about, as I found out um, real quick. And when, when the nurses are like, uh, maybe the machine's broken and kind of shake it, um, never a, a good thing. And so just I mean, the outpouring of calls and texts, gifts, um, and, and little messages and everything that you've done uh, for me and my family. Man, we, I am grateful, and I just thank you so much for the prayers and the support. Um, and it has been such a good week. Meredith, um, as I was telling the trustees earlier, we, we met for a few minutes. Um, I saw a blood pressure with the top number being around the 124 mark, and so we were, like, stoked. Like, that's when it was 250 at one point, and it's 124 now over something. So um, but she's doing great. Her, uh, she's getting stronger. She's recovering. Uh, she's doing so, so good. And then uh, little Bishop, uh, which is our 34-week-old baby come Tuesday, um, he is doing great as well. Um, uh, he, man, kid's grown like a weed. He is four pounds, one ounce now. So he's huge. Um, so uh, he's gained a few ounces, um, and so, I mean, he, he's doing great. He's taking uh, milk. I think he's up to 24 milliliters now of milk, um, and so he is, he is doing great. He'll be 34. The next prayer uh, hurdle we've got, 34 Tuesday. Um, we need that him to start taking a bottle then and continue to gain weight, and we get that little sucker home. And so, um, so he is doing great, and we are just so, so thankful for, like I said, the prayer and the support and all the love that you guys have shown us. And uh, and we, we, are, we are greatly, greatly appreciative of that. And so um, thank you so much. And so uh, with that, it's also good to be back, isn't it? <sighs> to get some feedback, to get interaction, to see people is just is good, and we need that. And so, um, man, we've, we've missed you, and, and we are excited that you're here. And if you're watching online, I, I, and I always want to say this, man, there's no guilt for you, you being back here. Do not feel like you have to. And I'm looking at the camera right now feel like you have to be back here. We want you to come when you feel safe, when you feel uh, comfortable uh, with that. We're going to do the best we can to try to social distance, to try to, uh, to do our part. Uh, I, I, I do this every time. And I'm going to keep doing it. I mean, we have got an amazing, amazing lady that cleans this place, that, that, that 
pours out her blood, sweat, and tears on this place. I mean, she has to put up with me, for goodness sake. So, I mean, you know, she's real deal. Um, but, but she is here cleaning, and she has done everything that she can to make this place as safe as she possibly can uh, f- for when you're here. And so, I um, mean, we are just thankful for Miss Donna and all that she does for this church and her ministry and, and that. And so, um, like I said, when you feel comfortable, man, please come back. We are excited. We want to hit the ground running, man. We believe God's got some stuff for us this coming year. Even in the middle of a pandemic, we believe that God's going to move and work and do, and we just want to be a part of that. And um, so we'll be rolling out some stuff and letting you know uh, of some things that we've got coming. But for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're just going to look at this specific example of how Jesus prayed to his Father. And so I want to spend a few weeks just looking at prayer, looking specifically at a prayer that Jesus prays and what we can learn from that, how we can... Uh, see what he's really saying, what he's really doing. Um, I mean, there's tons of formulas when it comes to prayer. There's tons of different ways. Uh, in, in your prayer closet, or there can be these drive-by prayers, just kind of in the, in the moment as something hits you and comes up, or, uh, or it can be at night before you go to bed, or it can be before a meal, or it can be in the morning when you get up. I mean, there's tons of places and tons of different ways uh, to pray. There's all kinds of acrostics that you can pray. Uh, there's prayers from the scriptures that you can pray. There, there's, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just we need to do it. And so what we're going to do, though, over the next few weeks is just look Look at how Jesus prays. Look at this example that he leaves and and, and what he prays for in particular. And and my hope is that the Holy Spirit will take that and will work in us and give us a greater desire and longing to spend time in prayer, to spend time in communion and fellowship with God. And and I'm here to testify to you, church, that, that prayer, that God hears prayer. God is aware when we speak to him, when we talk to him. And, and I would say this, that he longs for us to communicate with him much more than we long to communicate with him. That, that he wants to hear from us, that he wants to fellowship and commune and, and talk with us much more than we want to talk to him. We say it, but are we putting forth the energy to do it? And so we're going to look at, at what Jesus says here, which, which uh, this morning I want you to watch for and I want you to see Jesus, as he's preparing for his journey to the cross and, and how he takes this time to just kind of slip out and start to pray. And as he prays for something very interesting as it pertains to himself. I just want you to take notice of that this morning. And so what we know leading up to this point, Jesus' death and resurrection has been assured. It, it's coming. He's about to draw near to that. To God the Father. He's about to be in his presence yet again. And in Hebrews 4.16, it proclaims this. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so prayer, what we're going to see is Jesus praying. And it's for that very reason right there. We've been invited in this morning. I mean, think about that for a second. The the King of kings, the, the God of the universe has beckoned us in before his throne. And it's to do exactly what Hebrews says here. That the throne of grace that we can come before him, that we may receive mercy, we may find grace to help in a time of need. I mean, how reassuring is that? So, so what we're going to see is this. In the final hours of Jesus' life, before his betrayal, before his arrest, before his crucifixion, Jesus is going to spend his last meal with his disciples celebrating the Passover And then after that, what is he going to do? He's going to wash his disciples' feet. He's going to announce that Judas has betrayed him. He's going to give Peter's denial. And then he's going to begin this lengthy teaching to his disciples about love, about the Holy Spirit, about embodying in him, about overcoming the world. And after that, Jesus is going to enter into prayer. And that's what we're going to see in John 17. The Scriptures is going to give us a glimpse, pull back the curtain as he begins to pray for himself. 
for his current disciples, and I believe for us as his future disciples. And so I'm going to ask you this morning to join me as we pray, and then we're going to jump in and we're going to look at what Jesus prays for. So, so join me as we pray. Father, again, we love you and we thank you for this morning. And Father God, I pray this morning that you just move in a mighty way in this place. God, that you so bind our hearts to yours, God, that we have a longing desire to just fellowship and commune with you through prayer. This, this ongoing conversation that, that you've invited us into, God, that we can, God, that we can just be present in that. And, and so, Father, over the next few weeks, as we look at prayer and we, as we look at the things that Jesus is going to pray for and how, how he's going to do it, Father, may we learn and grow from that example. Father, may we see the boldness in his requests. God, may we see the humility in his heart. Oh, Father, God, shape us and mold us all the more into the image of your Son, God. And, and, and may that take place through the way that we pray. God, help us pray, be men and women of prayer, be known for, for our prayer. Father, we love you, Jesus, we need you. Speak in this place this morning. Shall we pray? Amen. All right, John 17, starting in verse 1. John 17, 1, this is what the scripture says. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, what words? The words that I just told you about. After he announces Judas' betrayal, Peter's denial, he begins that lengthy teaching there about love, about the Holy Spirit, abiding in him, overcoming the world. After he has spoken these words, he then lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. I, mean, I just love that, that picture. I, I can just imagine for a moment as Jesus does that, gazes up into heaven, almost as if he sees his Father. As he's looking to him, as he begins this conversation. And, and I just believe here Jesus doing that, when, he, when we see that word Father there, and we're going to break that down here in just a moment. But I just believe it's a great reminder for us what a privilege it is to be able to, to go before the throne. What a privilege it is of, of who we get to address and, and who we get to talk to. That's what Jesus is modeling and showing him. Showing the disciples the intimacy there. Showing the disciples the depth there as he uses that little word, Father. He just reminds them, he reminds us who we have the privilege to talk to. It's, so there's some people in this world that we'll never have the privilege to talk to, right? Like, you know that. It may be just kind of like a quick, like, hey, and go on. Or, uh, but we can never really have this kind of conversation with. I mean, you could probably try to set up a meeting years out, and still because of our credentials or lack of credentials, we would probably never be granted access to be able to get into that room to have that conversation with that person. But what I love about this scripture here and what I love about other scriptures in the Bible is, is that's not the case when it comes to God. The veil has been torn. We have access to the throne room of God. We have access to, to be able to, to, to have the ear of the creator of all. And what we see here is Jesus reminding us that with that simple little word, Father. I mean, as usual, that's how Jesus begins his prayers, is it not? I mean, you see that over and over in the scriptures as he goes before God. He says, Father. And so Jesus would be speaking in Aramaic, and he would have used that term, Abba. And it's the same word that a child would use for daddy. I mean, how intimate and how amazing is that? I've got three now that can, that can use that term for me. I mean, what a term of endearment, what a term of depth, what a term of, term of meeting for someone to be able to say, Daddy. I mean, what happens in a father's heart when they hear that? I mean, I don't know if, if you have kids, but man, for me, whenever I hear Daddy or, or Dad and there's this longing and desire to, to get my attention or, or to, or to uh, fellowship with me, man, my heart's turned immediately. 
My heart's there. I want to know. And so what this does is it just points to that deep relationship, that, that deep intimacy here with Jesus and his Father. He's just connected to God in a deep way. He's just connected to God in a deep way. I mean, there are people in our lives that, that, that we know and that we are uh, kind of know of and that we're acquaintances with, that we may be familiar with, that we may see their feet or we may know some things about them, but do we have deep intimacy like this? Like I can remember a time whenever I was in uh, college and I uh, went to Liberty University, and as I was there, I, was, I had the opportunity to kind of uh, oversee our student center, and um, I don't know if you've heard of uh, this guy named Toby Mack. Yeah, I just name dropped. I met him. I did. Yeah, yeah. He's a cool dude. Um, so anyway, so, so what we're doing is we're setting up a thing, and he's going to be playing basketball there at our student center, and so they're going to need some people to play with them. And so there's two different bands. It's kind of like this little thing. And they're pulling some students in to do some stuff with them. And so I had the opportunity to play with Toby Mack. And I was on his team. And there was this one time, like at the beginning, like he gets his team together and he's starting to talk to us. And he's like, okay, who are you? Like, where are you from? And so I get, I'm Scott, West Virginia. Yeah. I mean, we're tight. In this moment, like, I, I can just, we're tight. There was one time he passed me the ball and I scored. And he gave me, like, like knuckles, man. Like, it was... He may have even, like, give me a that-a-boy. I don't know. I, I'm telling the story. I can say it, right? But, but man, we, like, we're tight. But what I know is this, is that if I was to try to drive up to his house today, if I was try to call him on the phone, like, Toby, whoa, whoa, Toby, hold up. Remember? Remember back in, like, 05? You give me five that one time. You passed me the ball. You said, that's cool. Uh, dude, we're tight. He's going to think I'm crazy. I don't know him. There's no relationship there. But, but, but what Jesus is showing here is that there can be relationship with God the Father. There can be deep closeness. There can be intimacy. I mean, I mean that's what's happening here is, is he's showing us. He's modeling for his disciples. He's modeling for us what this can be like. There can be closeness for those that are his. That we can approach him as a child approaches their father. As a child approaches our father. I mean, like, do you remember when the disciples, they, they come to Jesus and they, they ask him to uh, teach them how to pray? Over, um, over in Matthew 6, there's a story, and they do that, and they come and they ask him, and what does Jesus do? He lays out this model prayer for them. And how does, how does Jesus address God in the very beginning? The same way he does here. So in Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray, what does he say? He says, approach God this way. You're his. He's like a father to you. You can approach him as, as Abba, as Daddy. And so even me this morning saying that, there's this fear in my heart, and I know, especially with our culture and the world that we live in, that this word daddy or father doesn't carry with it a positive life-giving image. That that word or that thought could be tainted, and chances are in a room like this, or people watching online like you are this morning, the moment when you start to think of dad, there's all these images and thoughts that come to mind that maybe aren't life-giving and good. As you're going to approach God that way, and maybe that's connected, or maybe that's, that's holding you back, or maybe that's a thought in your heart this morning. All I know is my dad. My dad's great. My dad sacrificed so much for us. My dad gives so much for me and my family and for my sister. My dad was a good dad. I mean, he, he, would, he would sacrifice and he would play, play with me. He would we'd throw a ball. We would do all kinds of stuff. The way that he worked to support our family, the things that he did, the things that he modeled for us, how selfless he was. All, I, mean, I have a great dad. I could brag and brag and brag on my dad. 
forever. And he's just like any other dad. He made mistakes, and he's messed up, and he's been difficult at times, and I'm sure raising a guy like me isn't easy either. And so I get it. I know all that. But, man, he was a great, great dad. But, church, let me tell you something this morning. As good as your father may be, and as much as I can stand up here and brag on my dad this morning, he is a bum when it comes to compared to God as a father and as a daddy. And my dad, the way I look at him, is A, number one. I mean, he's great. But when we try to compare him to God the Father, my dad fails miserably. Even me, like, I want to be the best dad that I can be. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I want to be, uh, uh, exert discipline when need to be. I want to be loving. I want to be all of those things. That's outlined in the scripture for me to be as a dad. But there'll be a day when my boys look at me and compare me to God, and I'm going to fall woefully short. So I guess what I'm trying to do this morning is this, is, is just to say, hey, beg you, don't, don't link maybe your earthly father to what, what God is like. Because God's not like that. He is so much better. Maybe, maybe you, if you do have a bad experience with that, or you, you do have something like that that's taken place, I promise you, Abba this morning is nothing like that. That he is holy, he is righteous, he is loving, he is kind, he is merciful, he is full of justice. He, he, is, he, he exerts discipline in just the right way, in just the right amount, just how it needs to be. He picks us up when we need picked up. He's, he's compassionate and caring. He's all of those things in perfect and equal balance at all times. At all times. So I beg of you this morning, don't connect that. Know that about God. So, so fully aware of the trials and the suffering that Jesus is about to endure. He addresses him as Father, as Abba, intimacy. And then look at where he goes next in verse 17. He says, the hour has come to glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Jesus is just making claims of who, his, who he is, the Son of God, about to go to the cross. You're about to glorify him. Wow, for the sole purpose of me glorifying you, Dad. That's the whole prayer here. Jesus prays for himself, and his desire and his request in this moment is that God the Father be glorified through his life. That God get glory. So as Jesus' hour of betrayal, as Jesus' hour of humiliation, crucifixion, as it's about to begin, what does Jesus pray for? That God would be glorified in that? That God would get glory even in that. What, what, a, what a deep, weighty reality. What Jesus is about to go through, physically, emotionally, I mean, he's about to experience separation from, from God the Father. All of wrath of humanity poured out upon him because of our sin, our rebellion. He's about to experience all of that. He sees it coming. He's aware. And what does he do? He prays even in that moment of difficulty, as horrific as it's going to be, God, may you get glory. That time's come. Then may you receive glory. So a tough aspect in us praying, a tough aspect in us, us approaching God and praying for ourselves is to do the same thing here, is to ask God to be glorified in our life at all cost. You willing to pray that? And I don't mean flippantly just say, oh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, that's cool, yeah. 
Because what that means, it might mean just exactly like it did for Jesus. Yeah, God, be glorified in me at all costs. I want your glory to be made known at all costs. Even when things go south for us, from our perspective, it never goes south in God's perspective, only in our perspective. When things doesn't line up like we would hope it would line up, when things doesn't work out like we would hope it would work out, when things doesn't happen like we would hope it would happen, when we don't get what we think we rightfully deserve or need, are we willing and okay to give glory even in those moments of difficulty and struggle? At all costs, regardless, however bad it may appear and get from our side, yeah, God, may you receive glory, may you receive honor. I mean, what a deep, weighty prayer here. It's more than just that grocery shop prayer. I need some beans, I need corn, mac and cheese, I need a little bit of meat, I need, God, can you get all that stuff for me? No, no, no. This, this is prayer at, at its deepest form here. God, may you receive glory at all costs. May you receive honor at all costs. And so what does this word glory mean? What does, what does that mean as, as Jesus uses it here? Because to glorify God means to give him glory. And so the, the word glory as it relates to God in the Old Testament, it bears with it this idea of greatness and splendor. So when you see glory in the Old Testament, it's, it's greatness, it's, it's splendor. And then in the New Testament, the word translated glory means dignity, it means honor, praise, it means worship. And so when we put the two together there, we find that glorifying God means to acknowledge His greatness, to give Him honor by praising and worshiping Him primarily because He and He alone deserves to be praised, honored, and worshiped. That regardless of circumstance, regardless of situation, we're going to give Him the praise that's rightfully due Him. And church, we need to understand it's all praise that's due Him. It's all honor that's due him. All of that belongs to him. I love how First Chronicles says it. It says it like this, First Chronicles 16, verse 28. It says this, it says, Ascribe to the Lord. It's, it's give to the Lord. Make known to the Lord, all families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. It's make known. Man, how great he truly is, the splendor of his name, how, how amazing and awesome he is. He is strong and mighty and powerful. That's what they're saying there. He says, verse 29, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. That's what the people are being commanded to do. That's glory. So as we sing here in this place, as we open up his word and we see what he has to say to us, we ascribe to him, we proclaim back to him, we give to him. So in our hearts, in our souls, in our inner beings, what we do is we say yes and amen. <laughs> God, it's all for you. Oh God, you are good. You are faithful. I may be going through hell this morning, but you, you are right there in the middle of that fire walking with me. I mean, when we sang that holding back the waters... I mean, what is that a reference to? Exodus right there? The people being exiled out, uh, being rescued out of Egypt? I mean, God walking right through with them. Church, that's the promise we have. That's what we get. A God that's going to walk with us through whatever it may be. Pandemic, financial struggles, sickness, aggravation of what's going to happen with the school system. All of that stuff. God is in control and walking with us right through it. And, and you know the greatest opportunity we have as believers is to glory even in that. Who cares what comes tonight? Who cares what my plans are? 
I'm going to use those opportunities to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to use those opportunities to let people know about the glory and strength and greatness of our God. I mean, it's crazy. This, this, is, this is crazy. And it's, just, it's, just, it's been neat to kind of be removed from it for a few weeks now, from being at the hospital and, um, and seeing like, so we're, we're in labor and delivery. And as we're there, we've got this, this sweet nurse, uh, I think Amy, Amy or Kim is her name. But we begin to talk to her. And as we begin to talk to her, I mean, she had went through like just this horrific thing uh, a few months back where she was at home and a neighbor, uh, anyways, a little infant, this neighbor, uh, the, the infant had suffocated and they bring that baby to her. And as they bring that baby to her, they, she's a nurse, they know it. So they pass like five or six houses to get to her. And as they, they, they try to get to her, what they're, uh, they're hoping that she can help and she can't. And so, so we're sitting there approaching having a baby and we get to have a conversation, me and Meredith with that woman. And just get to love on her and hear her story. And, and then I, I get a, a message this week from a friend saying that one of the nurses in, uh, uh, that was taking care of us, I mean, I mean we, we enjoyed them so much, we want to come check out their church. I mean, there is opportunity in the middle of what seems to be craziness and chaoticness to praise God and make much of Him. To tell about him. I mean, one of the things that I felt God pressing him on yesterday as I'm sitting there uh, and we're just, we're just getting to hold our little guy in the NICU, there's this family right next to us and, and they're sitting there and you can kind of tell they're a little distraught. I don't know if it's their first, I, but, but they're sitting there and as they're sitting there, you can just tell that they're, they're hurting. And they slipped out before I had this opportunity, but man, now like, I'm, I'm on the go, like I'm on watch now. And, and so when we go down there, if they're there, man, I'm, just, I'm like, can I just pray for you guys? Can I pray for your little guy? I mean, he's on a ventilator. And he's just laying there helpless, and his family's hurting. And I'm just like, man, man there's an opportunity to, to tell them. And, and, and whether they want it or not, I'm going to pray for them anyways. But because I know the one that can make that little guy way better tonight. And so I'm going to be in his ear all the time. God, God, heal this little guy. God, heal this family. God, show the, God, you show them how big and great you are. God, you show them what you're like. God, you show them that he don't need that dumb machine to help him breathe. God, you put a bottle in his mouth and let that sucker eat like crazy and gain 10 pounds before he gets out. God, you can do that. I mean, church, we have got opportunity in the midst of whatever, and if we will pray that way. I mean, I'm telling you, it's, it's not a fun, easy, cute little prayer to pray. But if you want to be serious about God and you want to be serious in your walk with Jesus and you want to get to the depth and to the to the, to the just the meat of who he is and how great and good he is, you ask him to, to, to bring glory to him in your life regardless. Regardless. And so when we pray, may we be so bold to ask God that, get glory through our lives regardless of the circumstances that we face. So Jesus goes on in verse 2 and he says this, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So what Jesus is doing is just reminding his disciples in his prayer of who he is, his godness here. He's the God-man. He, he is, he is uh, the uh, God incarnate. He is uh, uh, God wrapped in flesh. Just talking about who he is. There are deep, weighty truths in that. And he gets to verse 4 and he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So Jesus brought glory to God by doing the work that God gave him. That's how Jesus brings glory to him. He does what he asks. You don't see Jesus arguing with God. You don't see him giving him lip service. You don't see him trying to debate or try to weasel his way out of it, but rather what he submits in glad obedience, no matter how difficult. 
And I don't know if you, if you understand how difficult Jesus has it. Leading up to the cross, even before that, for those three years that he walked with those disciples. I mean, have you read what a mess they are? I mean, they're B team. They're not even JV. They don't even get to play. They're like seniors playing on the B team Little League. I mean, they're awful. When I read the Gospels and I read of those disciples, I'm like, are you, like if I was Jesus, I'd be like, God, serious? So we're going to reach the world for your great name with these 12? One's not even going to be for us. Dad, are you sure? I'm like, if I'm God, if I'm Jesus, that's the conversation I'm having often. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, Dad, we're God, and I know that, and we can do some, but these guys, this is the best we've got? And not once do you see that in the denials, in the messing up and blowing it, in the getting it wrong, and the not truly understanding who Jesus is. Never do you see Jesus go to that place always it's about glad obedience to the father always and so i guess my question is this how are you doing being obedient in what god's called you to do and be right now even in the middle of a pandemic even in the middle of uncertainty even in the middle of whatever you're going through and i just want to lovingly tell you this he's called all who believes to be about something for his glory Everyone who takes the name of Jesus. He has given you a ministry and a calling to make an impact in this world for his glory and his honor. Every one of us in this room that says that they're a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, we can talk later. There's going to be this gospel presentation. And man, I hope God breaks your heart over it. Over your lostness and your rebellion. And, and, and so that would be the only excuse of why you're not. is because you're lost. Or you're just in disobedience to the Father, and that's sin. And then what we do as believers is we let the Holy Spirit break our heart over our sin, and then we repent. We run to the Father, and we ask Him to, to break us and to give us a renewed spirit, a renewed excitement, and, and point us and direct us and help us. We don't continue in that disobedience and sin. No, we get serious, and we allow God to shape us and mold us. But every single one of us that take the name of Jesus, that say that we're believers, are called something greater. We're called to obedience and doing something for his name and his glory. Every one of us. Every one of us. And my fear is that we work harder trying to figure out how to get out of what God has called us to rather than just doing what he's asked us to do. That we work harder trying to figure out how to skirt around it or how to uh, 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 manipulate it or how to get, get away from it instead of just being obedient to what he has called us and asked us to do. And so I just lovingly tell you, man, he wins in the end. And when God presses that upon your heart and he puts someone on your heart or he puts this ministry on your heart, he puts this opportunity on your heart, it's better just to submit and give in because he loves you enough to continue to come after you. He loves you enough to let you kind of just flounder in your miserableness there in those moments to eventually just swoop right back in and remind you and press you in. And, and what I've learned is this, is him being a good father, he's not going to quit till you do it. Well, because he loves us enough to keep on us. I mean, he's got something for us to be about and to do. And he loves us and cares enough for us to do that. Oh, but it's too hard. You're dang right, it's too hard. That's why he's giving you the Holy Spirit. Oh, but it's going to be so much work. You're dang right, it's going to be so much work. Anything worth doing and obtaining and having is going to be hard work, right? If not, then everybody would be doing it. 
Oh, and by the way, he's giving you the Holy Spirit to help you feel, uh, to walk it out and to do it. That's the X factor right there. The Holy Spirit in us is the X factor. That's what we have. So we need to get over ourselves and we need to get on with what God's called us to do and be about. So as I read this, I don't know if, if, if something just kind of hits you, but it just like stirs me. And I just want to just draw us to certain things in scriptures. Uh, my hope is that it just like, it just, it sticks out like a sore thumb and it just, it just gets you for a moment. Because my question as I, as I read this was, what was the work Jesus was talking about here in verse 4? Because the thing that I find very intriguing is that he hasn't been to the cross yet. Right? Jesus hasn't been to the cross. Look at verse 4. He says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. In all of my expertise, Sunday school growing up, Bible school, the thing that he came to do was what? Ransom and redeem lost man. To go to the cross. Jesus is talking to his disciples, or he's talking to his father in the midst of his disciples. He's not on the cross dead yet. He hasn't ransomed and redeemed anybody yet. How has he brought God the Father glory? How has he fulfilled and, and done the very thing that, that he was supposed to do when he's not yet at the cross? I mean, it's a head scratcher, is it not? He's not dead and resurrected yet. So Jesus does something during his life that would be considered accomplishing the work that God gave him. And we all know that he does an all-satisfying, redeeming work in the cross for those who will believe. But what did Jesus do? What do we know up to this point? That Jesus dedicated his life to glorifying his Father. How? Through making him known to his disciples. There we go. And so here goes Scott banging on that drum again. And Scott's going to bang on that drum until Scott dies. Or Scott's called away somewhere else. Or Scott's wherever. I'm going to bang on this drum as long as God gives me breath in my lungs because I believe that this is what Jesus was about in this moment. This is what we're to be about. Discipleship. He's invested in those disciples, those B-teamer disciples playing against varsity He's invested and he's walked with and he's cared for and he's poured into and he's modeled and he's preached and he's proclaimed and he's, he's, he's did everything with. Those men, and I just believe here in this moment, as his life is winding down and he sees the cross coming, he has this conversation with his dad. He's like, Dad, I did it. That, that I hope that brings you glory me doing what you've asked me to do. Me being about what you've asked me to be about. So my question for you, church, this week is, is who, who this week or this past month, man, who, who have you met intentionally with for the purpose to make God known in a deeper way? For you to be intentionally pouring into it and, and helping them mature as a disciple. I mean, who have you done that with? Because hear me, if you're not doing that, you're living in rebellion. If you're not doing that, that's sin. And I pray, oh God, I pray you'll break our heart over that. But my fear is our default is we work so hard trying to get out of But do you know how messy it would be? I have to have that conversation with that person? Do you know how hard and difficult it would be to have that person come over to my house week in and week out and cook a meal for them and have to listen to their ah, ah at the table? 
And with that, I'm going to give them my phone number. And they're going to text me all the time. Oh, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. And what I have learned is it is so worthwhile because it brings glory and honor to the Father. It brings glory and honor to the Father. The more messy and the more aggravating and the more frustrating because what I have learned in my life, church, is that in those moments when it pricks me and it makes me the most frustrated, it makes me the most aggravated, this hard-headed person just won't get it, what God does in that moment is remind me that I'm no different than they are with him. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there's aggravating people in this world and there's frustrating people in this world just won't listen, just won't get it. And what I'm reminded of so often is that aggravating, ridiculous person is me. Let's just change perspective and let's change, let, let's, let's change the relationship for a second. Let's look at, at Jesus with us. How many times does he ask us? How many times does he tell us? How many times does he direct us? Only to have us, uh, I'm not listening to that, I'm going to do my own thing. Only to do what? To jump on the phone with prayer and ask him and beg him to fix what he already told us to do that we didn't listen to do that we've already messed up. And not once does he do, are you, are you kidding me that? Ah, oh, God, that's Scott down there. What he does is he inserts himself back in, wraps his arms around me, encourages me, disciplines me, because discipline is a good gift from God for the believer. And he does it just right like I need it. Sometimes it's a little pop on the rear. Sometimes it's just a hug and a broken heart. And he says, all right, boy, let's go. And he goes right back in it with me. He goes right back in it with me. Who are you doing that with? Who are you doing that with? Because that's what glorifies God in Jesus' life here. That's what he's talking about. He proclaimed and he lived intentionally with his disciples in such a way that the Father would be proclaimed and made known and received in their lives. And received in their lives. And so Jesus often models for them what that looks like. They're to follow his example. They're to make known the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel all the while living a life of service. L listen real fast. John 13, 13 through 16 says this. Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, and, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so what I press you this morning, church, is this, is if you, you want to tell somebody about Jesus, serve them. You want to make an impact in this world? Serve somebody. Serve somebody. You hear me, you will get their interests, which will give you their ear, which can lead to capturing their heart if you do that. I've got a friend that's a pastor, and before he entered into full-time ministry as a pastor, he was a missionary. And as he was a missionary, he, uh, he goes and he um, uh, lands uh, in, in the country that he's going to be serving. And as he's there, somebody from uh, the village, uh, the church there, they pick him up and they're taking him back. And he's like, okay, he's like, now we need to swing by the city and I need to get some of these books and some materials and stuff like that. And, and as I do that, so I can, can teach and I can do stuff. And he's like, so where's your nearest book, Christian bookstore? And the guy just begins to laugh. And he grabs a book and he throws it to the back seat and he says, here, this is all we got. And he looks at it and it's the Bible. And he's like, oh. And the guy's like, yeah, if, if that book's not going to be good enough, then you're probably in the wrong place. 
And so as he's there for a few days, just trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? What, what, do, I need, what do I need to do? How can I get started? What needs to happen? What needs to take place? How can I make it more than just about a service? How can I really invest and impact lives? What, what can I do? And so he's walking down the street. And as he's walking down the street, he sees this guy plowing his field. And I'm not talking about he's got like a John Deere plower and he's like really going at it. I'm talking about like, like he is struggling and he is hoeing and he's, he's doing some like, like hardcore garden work type stuff. And as he told this story, he said he's walking by and in that moment, God's like, go help him. He's like, what are you talking about? Go help him. You want to do ministry? You want to make a difference? Serve this man. So he comes up to the guy and he's like, hey buddy, he's like, how you doing? He's like, the guy's kind of taken back. This guy's approaching. He's like, I'm doing good. I'm okay. I'm, I'm all right. I'm doing good. He says, uh, I want to help you. Uh, he's like, uh, man, I don't have the money to pay anybody. He's like, I, I, can't, I can't afford somebody to help me. I, I can't pay. And, and, and the missionary's like, I, I don't want you to pay me. And so the guy gets a little skeptical. He's like, okay, you want me to pay? What do you want? And the missionary pastor friend looks at him and says, I just want to help you struggling, you got a lot of field to plow, and I just want to help you. And all I ask for in return is that you would let me tell you a story. No hidden things, nothing to sign up for. I just want to help you plow. And after we get done plowing and doing this hard work, I just want to be able to give me 10 minutes to tell you a story, and I'm done. That's it. No catch. No catch. So what does he do? He jumps in and he helps them plow, and he's plowing all day. They are dirty, sweaty, smelly, nasty, funky, all that stuff. And when they get finished, what does he do? He sits down and he begins to tell them the story of a prodigal son. And he just tells them a story from Scripture. Did the guy come to be saved that day? No. But what did that missionary friend do? He goes back the next day. All right, bro, how, how can I help you today? We did all this. How can I serve you today? Man, why, why are you doing this? Now there's a door that's been opened. Now there's a heart ready to receive the message somewhat of what he has. This is why I'm doing it. And because I've got a Savior that loves me. And I saw you struggling. And the way that Jesus would do things is if he sees somebody struggling, he would step in and he would help them however he possibly could. And man, because Jesus lives in me, I want to help you. Nothing in return. I don't even care if you give me vegetables from your garden. Church, that's how we do it. That's how we do it. We want to reach the world. We want to glorify God. Serve somebody. Get over yourself and get into somebody's life and, and invest in them. That's how we do it. And then look at what Jesus says here at the verse 5 to finish. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had uh, uh, with you before the world existed. And so what we know is that only Jesus is fully God and fully man. And throughout the Old Testament, God emphatically states that he will not share his glory with anything created. And so what Jesus does here is he's just reiterating that he asked the Father to glorify him on this earth with the same glory he had with the Father from before the creation of the world. Jesus is just simply describing position and power here of, of who he truly is. He's asking God the Father to raise him to the same position he had before entering the world. And all of this is about truly proclaiming and showing who Jesus here in this moment is. He's the God-man. And he's pointing that to his disciples. He's reminding that his, of his disciples as he prays this before them. Guys, guys there's this place that I'm going. And, and I, am, I am somebody. I am the son of the living God. That's what he's proclaiming here. That's what he's reminding them. But the whole heart of this prayer is that the glory of God be made known. 
So as the band comes back up to lead us this morning, man, as we pray for ourselves, will we ask the Father to help us live our lives for His glory? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to ask God to help you live your life in such a way that He gets all glory, all credit, all praise regardless? And so maybe a better way to ask it is, what can you do this week to point people to the greatness and the bigness of our God? What can you do this week to show how great and, and, and how much splendor our God has, how mighty He truly is? Who this week can you have gospel conversation with? How can you show how amazing God is by telling your story of redemption or of how God has moved in your life? The second thing I'd ask you is this. Will you pray and ask God to help you do and be aware of others? Faithfully accomplishing the work the Father has entrusted you to. Will you ask Him to do that? What has God called you to be about? He's called you to be about sharing the gospel, making disciples, doing ministry. That's what He's called you to. And so will you ask Him this week to show you and make you aware, what garden can I plow this week? I mean, I have no green thumb. I kill stuff. I kill stuff that goes inside that doesn't need sun or water. I kill cactuses. That's what I do. But man, I can pick up something heavy. And I can push a mower. I can cook a meal. I can go over and say hi to my neighbor and help him repair his fence. And I'm a great gopher. Go for that. Go for that. Hey, can you go get that? Can you? I'm great at getting stuff. Every one of us has the ability to step into someone else's life and serve them. Every one of us. So will you do that this week? Will you be about glorifying the Father by doing the work that He has given you? Sharing the gospel, making disciples, serving this world for His great name. Outside of this church, inside of this church. Like right now, we, we, need, we need children's workers. And I know it's a weird time. I know it's a crazy time. We're coming through this COVID thing and we've got all this stuff going on and, 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 and we, got, we want kids to, to feel loved and to feel safe and to be in places where they can kind of get and grasp a little bit of, what, of who Jesus is in these crazy times. And so we need people to, to sign up and help out there. Would you do that? Something we've got coming in the future is this, is that we're going to be much more intentional with submissions with being an outreach in our community. So we're going to need people. And I'm praying and looking. And maybe you can pray and you can be asking God, are you the one for this? But looking for someone who can kind of help oversee some mission stuff, community mission stuff. I mean, there's somebody in this church, man, that God has gifted with the heart of administration and the heart to reach this world for His glory and His honor. I mean, we're, we're just asking if you would just see if it's you. If God would raise you up to be that. So this week, may you be praying the way that Jesus did here in Matthew 17. And as you pray, be aware and look for those opportunities that God puts before you to make His glory known at all costs and accomplish His work. And there's a multitude of ways that we can do that. A multitude of ways. So I don't know what God stirred in your heart this morning, but this altar is open. If you want to come pray, by all means do that. Father, we love you, Jesus. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we get together in this place again. God, keep us safe, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. And God, help us be serious about making your glory known at all costs. Good, bad, it doesn't matter. God, help us be about giving you the praise and honor and worship that's rightly due you. Shall we pray? Amen. If you'd stand, the band's going to lead us.
Like I said, this altar is open. If you want to come pray, or if you just want to respond and worship this morning, you be obedient to the Lord.